Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olibest, and I am so excited today to be interviewing and chatting with one of my very favorite people in the world and such an inspiration to me, Dr. Julie Hanks. Thank you so much for being with us again, Julie. Oh, thanks for the invitation, Amy. We had a wonderful episode on season one on The Real Wealth of Nations by Rianne Eisler. And today for season two, we'll be having a conversation on some other aspects of patriarchy. But for any listeners who missed our episode in season one, first of all, go back and listen to it because it's fabulous. But just to introduce Dr. Julie Hanks, Dr. Julie Hanks is a therapist at Wasatch Family Therapy. She's the author of an incredible book called The Assertiveness Guide for Women. She also did an amazing TEDx talk that I have forwarded and passed along to so, so many people about, oh, Julie, will you tell me the title of it again? It's about (laughs) valuing women and rather than idealizing women. Can you tell us the title? The Cost of Idealizing Motherhood. Yes, It's such a fantastic TED Talk. So if you haven't, listeners, if you haven't watched or listened to that yet, do that. Dr. Julie Hanks is also the host of a podcast called Ask Dr. Julie Hanks and has the most incredible, inspiring and insightful account on Instagram. So highly recommend that too. And then you have a new membership program too, right, Julie? Mm -hmm. Could you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So it's just a really affordable way for more people to work with me and for me to help more people. And so you get access to all my courses, a live Q&A every month based on a theme, uh, themed downloads like journal prompts, things like that, and a private Facebook group. So it's just a community of women who support each other and are you know working on their emotional and mental health. Hmm. That's so awesome. You're helping so many people, and I'm just so grateful for the work you're doing. Thank you. Um, Yes, thank you. So today, the prompt for season two is kind of broad, whereas in season one, we talked about books, and it was very much like digging into the works that have been produced on the topic of patriarchy and how it was created and how to dismantle it. Each And each conversation was very text-focused. On season two, of course, as listeners know, we're, we're wanting to explore the way that patriarchy has been manifest in different people's lives. And that can be personal life, it can be family life or career life or church, but all the different ways that we have felt and experienced patriarchy and, and, and hopefully some things that we can do as we listen to each other to to figure out how to dismantle these harmful constructs that now exist in our minds from swimming in this water our whole lives. <laughs> so I want to just ask you, Julie, what comes to your mind when you think of some of the ways or maybe one particular way that you've experienced patriarchy in your life? Yeah, I think about the way I was raised. I grew up in Southern California, right in the heart of the entertainment industry. And so there were so many, like, it was just magical. My, my extended family had a TV show in the 60s and 70s. My dad was a musician on many television shows. And it just seemed like there was so much creative expression and success that was possible for my life. And then I also grew up as an active member of the LDS church. And so 
I'll speak specifically about patriarchy there. In my family, the roles were very traditional based on kind of the patriarchal family where the dad's in charge and mom takes care of the home and family. And so I had these kind of contradictory worlds. Like I saw all this possibility. And then I also saw, wait a second, (laughs) I'm a woman. Hmm. I have a very specific role that I was taught about in my church. And so that was really disheartening to me. I remember as a very little girl thinking I should have been born a boy. Like that would have been better <laughs> than to be a girl. I could, I knew it from that from really early on. And so as I as I grew, like I had all of these ideas and talents and passions and they were outside. I mean, they were in, they included a white being a wife and a mother, which is what I was told God wanted me to be. And that's also what I wanted. I value relationships, but I also wanted so many other things for my life. And this created this kind of uh, what I've coined as aspirational shame. It's the belief that desire for achievement outside of home and family meant that I'm not a good person. So my desires were meant that I was bad, like somehow I was flawed and I needed to tone it down, get rid of those desires because patriarchy was telling me your purpose is to be a wife and mother. And so I, I carried this shame with me for decades. And in spite of the shame, I was able to kind of, I kind of, I, I'm a people pleasing rebel, I like to say. So I kind mm-hmm. of did, like I pleased patriarchy. Like I got married young. I had kids. I'm a wife and a mother. I have four kids. I love my family. And I, the rebellious part of me was like, this is not going to control me. I'm going to be true to my passions and interests and goals. And so I've also accomplished things outside of my family, owning a business, owning my practice, going to grad school, getting a PhD, you know, so being a musician, being a music. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That whole Um, other career, being a songwriter. And so even though I did those things, I still felt like I, it must mean I'm a bad person. I, I also felt like I didn't have a choice. Like it's just so expressing myself is such a part of who I am. But I, I did it with this burden of shame that I think was a huge result of, of patriarchy. That, you know, my role was limited and, and that those things that I wanted to accomplish, you know, I felt like, it was too much. It was too big. I shouldn't want that. I shouldn't want things for myself, mm-hmm. right? My goal is to support a husband and children. And so as I lived my life with my husband and our kids and continued to pursue my goals and dreams, I was aware of patriarchy in, in the questions that people asked me. Like, why are you going to grad school when you have a baby to take care of? Or who's going to watch your kids while you see clients? Or, oh, I could never leave my kids with a babysitter and let someone else raise my children. 
aren't you going to miss them? You know, those kind of things. Like I felt like my choices were suspect. Mm. And, and I think that was all informed by patriarchal, rigid gender roles. Mm. So I wrote about this experience a few years ago uh, for a website called Aspiring Mormon Women. And what happened in in kind of putting a name and explaining this experience, so calling it aspirational shame, really resonated with a lot of conservative religious women. They're like, oh my gosh, I have that. I mm. I have that. That that explains what I've been experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it was so validating for me because I realized like, oh, I'm not, I mean, I knew I wasn't, but it's just nice to hear you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. I can I can relate. Your story resonates with me. So if I can interject, Julie, I have to say just yesterday I went on a walk with a friend and I was talking about how I'm working on my master's thesis right now. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how like writing, writing a long paper is hard for everybody and working, you know, doing grad school, that's hard for everybody. And but I was saying there's this other thing that makes it hard that takes my energy that I have to work against mm. in addition to just like the human experience of self-doubt and like, oh, this is hard. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, I have this voice in my head and it sounds just like a Virginia Woolf novel that mm. I don't know if you've read To the Lighthouse, but there's this painter named Lily Briscoe. And as she's painting, she has this voice that says women can't paint, women can't write. And it's the voices of like actual people she's heard, but also yeah. just the social construct. And I said, I have that. It's it's this constant feeling of like, who who do you think you are? You're mm-hmm. out of your sphere. You're out of your box. Mm-hmm. You don't have a right to do this. And so having that label to put on it, like, yes, that's what it is. It's because, again, men feel self-doubt too. And men feel, but you know, imposter different. syndrome, but it's, it's different. different. Yes. It's, you're bad for wanting, you're, you're bad not just for doing it. You're bad for wanting it, for yes, wanting to do it. as a woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because you're a woman. Because you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Yep, I feel it. Yeah, it's not just that. It's different than self-doubt. It's mm-hmm. like you don't have permission by society to to want this, let alone actually execute it. Yep, exactly. Right? It's, it's kind of that. It drains yes. so much energy, always yes. feeling like I had to soothe myself from those messages and like, no, yes. it's okay. You can do this. And it's like, I had to battle these, these messages and those yes. messages continued to come at me. It wasn't just my early life. It was all throughout my life. And a lot of it came in, like I said, in the form of those questions. Mm-hmm. Yes. That you get from other people too. Can I ask mm-hmm. one more question yeah, here and at this point in your story too? Cause I'm so glad you pointed out I was going to ask you, and then you talked about it, what were the specific messages that you were getting? And if you remembered any of them, because sometimes I can point to a specific conversation I've had. And sometimes it's just kind of this, again, like the water you swim in and you and you don't really remember. But I was going to ask, in addition to questions that you were getting when you were going back to school or when mm. you were doing your career, do you remember specific messages that you got growing up or mm-hmm. was it more just the example of people you saw or both? It was it was both. 
it was explicitly said at church mm-hmm. that this is a woman's place. This is a woman's role. It was modeled by my parents. It was implied in the school that my parents wanted me to go to. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was going there to find a husband. It wasn't to get an education. I mean, I got an education, mm-hmm. which was like surprising yes, to them. as a bonus. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And, and right as I was graduating high school, there were some very strong messages from Latter-day Saint church leaders about women's place is in the home and come home from your employment and... Mm-hmm. women working is the cause of divorce, of many divorces and things like that. So I remember those explicit, Mm -hmm. explicitly. And I also remember as a child or, or, you know, maybe teenage, in my teenage years, looking around and, and really recognizing there, I don't know any women whose lives I want to emulate. There are certain aspects, like my mom is so supportive and loving. Like I love that about her. And there's so many women that I loved and that that were examples in certain areas. But I there was no one that I was like, that I want to grow up and have that life. You know? mm-hmm. And so I felt really alone in what I wanted because I didn't see anyone who was combining family and creative expression and education and kind of the things that I wanted, I didn't see that. And so that, that I think is a really powerful message that Mm -hmm. like, well, maybe it doesn't even exist. And, and of course I'm bad for even wanting that. Right. Right. Okay. Well, and as long as I'm asking some questions, I have another one for you, Julie. Can I ask it right now? Yes. Well, so here's, This is a little bit of a tricky one because I I have several friends. Most of my friends, like you, I grew up in a conservative kind of traditional environment where Mm -hmm. I can't think of really any of my friends' moms who had careers at all. So that wasn't an example for me. And my mom was a wonderful stay-home mom, and I don't think she ever had any career aspirations. And so I also a little bit have felt like an alien and like there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But I've talked, I have some some close friends who had different experiences also within our same faith tradition where their mothers actually did have really successful careers. And a couple of friends specifically where their mothers were then, once they had achieved like these amazing careers, their mothers were really celebrated by the church and i've had like really complicated feelings about this because on one hand i think like that's so awesome that's so great that they did it like their moms and i'm totally i i admire their mothers i think it's incredible that they were able to do and that they chose to do what they did but i also think of like all those women and there was you know there were many sermons preached in Mm -hmm. in our church, especially like you just said, in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, that literally, you know, really said, women come home, you're abandoning your children and the fabric of society is disintegrating because all of these women are choosing to have careers, which means they don't love their families, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of all the women that were in the congregations listening to that and thinking, 
well, I, I wanted to be a surgeon, but okay, I'll do what God wants me to do. I'll sacrifice that and I'll, put, you know, make this noble sacrifice on the altar. Or I want, I wanted to be, you know, a concert violinist or whatever, or a CEO, but no, I will make the sacrifice. I'll do what God is asking me to do. I'll, you know, in our church, we say, quote unquote, follow the prophet. He knows the way, right? And make that sacrifice. And so for the patriarchal leaders of the church to demand that women make that sacrifice. But then if there's a one-off example that that basically what they, they did break the rules, right? Like they didn't make the sacrifice and then for the church to turn around and celebrate that woman. And then even sometimes people point to them and say, oh, women aren't depressed. Look at, you know, this woman who is a celebrated this or that, and she's Mormon and she did it. Mm-hmm. I just, my heart breaks for all of the women who did make the sacrifice and thought, wait a second, like I could have done that too, but I thought I was being good and I felt too much guilt and right. shame to do it. So now how could you celebrate these women? It it right. it actually hurts a lot to me and kind of makes me mad. Help, Julie. (laughs) Yes, no, I I validate what you're saying. I I also think there's something interesting. I think if it makes the patriarchy look good, Mm. then it's elevated. And Mm. and as a professional musician myself and songwriter, there is an exemption for artistic because for artistic ah. endeavors, because it's developing your talents, which is also a big push mm. in our church, in our faith tradition. And so it's kind of like when I was really, really involved in, in producing music and touring and things like that, that was not a suspect as my therapy career, because that mm. was developing my talents. And people saw it kind of like as a hobby. Oh, it's, it's a really nice hobby that really was, became successful mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of like mm-hmm. a career. Right. So there's a, if it's, you know, in the arts, there's a little bit of a difference mm-hmm. because you can go, well, I'm developing my talents. Totally. And I'm <laughs> guessing too, t- that's totally true. And I'm guessing too, that even therapy would be more acceptable than being a CEO or something because you're helping somebody, right? Like, right. I, I'm guessing there's maybe a hierarchy even of what it's What's acceptable ex- for a woman mm-hmm. to do. Like, you could be a nurse, but don't be a surgeon. You you could be right. a teacher, maybe. Like, if you are gonna work, then then these are the acceptable ones. If they help other people, or like you said, if they're in the arts, I'd not thought of that. It's so interesting. Yeah, helping other people. I've done things that have got in line with that and also rebelled. I'm also a CEO. I'm also, mm-hmm. I own two businesses. I mm-hmm. right, like, I actually don't do direct therapy anymore. I manage and, you know, two businesses. So, yeah. so I've kind of like, that's my people pleasing rebel. Right? Yep. Like I've gone into a, you know, a pr- traditional female profession except well except it requires advanced degrees so that makes it a little right. bit more suspect <laughs> but right but yeah it, it it's really interesting how certain there's an exemption for certain things um like it's okay to be a teacher cuz then you're home when your kids are home right and right. you know there's kind of these different rules for for women well i've had a couple of interesting conversations with my dad and I said to him, I, so he's a classically trained concert pianist 
arranger, producer, musician. He's He's been a successful musician his whole life. Mm-hmm. And I said, Dad, what if someone said you have to be an accountant? God wants you to be an accountant. And if if you're not an accountant, you're not a good, righteous man. How would you feel? And I think he finally got it. Mm. <laughs> how how that you know if you when you flip it around like that makes no sense i'm like but i've been told this is what god wants me to do with my time and energy and if i don't do that i'm not righteous it's like being told you have to be an accountant all day every day and that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so he finally got it and that was kind of nice to like i always am happy when the light bulb goes on for a man yeah. in my life that i care about I also had another, this is a more recent discussion where I was talking about an article about gender roles in the LDS church. And I had made some kind of put some things together that were exciting to me. And, and he said, he said, are are you sure this article isn't just you trying to justify your choices? Oh boy. And I looked at him and I said, have you ever had to justify your choices? Have you ever had to justify being a musician and having a family? Have you ever? And he he got it, right? Like, and I was like, that Good. that is an example of patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Like my dad telling me, oh, you know, and even though he was joking, it was still informed by that, like, you know, you're not supposed to want this or you have to justify your choices and that was just a really interesting conversation i went back later and said you know i just want you to know how much that hurt me and how i need an apology and he did and he's like i am so sorry that was you know that was really ignorant and i'm like yes (laughs) Mm, good for you so and i assigned him to read rian eisler's first book Mm, chalice mm -hmm. and the blade Good. Said, you need to read this, Dad. Good. Good for you. So we can learn about partnership. Mm-hmm. So how do you counsel women, Julie? For example, those women who said like, well, well, how would you counsel, counsel both women? I guess, how did you do the therapy on yourself so that you eventually got over <laughs> the aspirational shame? Yeah. And then how do you ca- counsel the women who let that aspirational shame stop them from doing the things and they felt like they made this godly sacrifice and then they see other women and they think, wait a second, like you got to do both and then you feel kind of judgy and jealous at the same time and, yeah. and bitter kind of. It's, it's, you know? really, it's really hard. I, I, this is a kind of answering question, but kind of varying off. I, I've done some research on... Like after I wrote this article, I was like, well, I guess aspirational shame is a thing. I might want to mm-hmm. do some research and kind of further de- define what it is and and explore people's experience or see if other people have experienced it and then what helped resolve it. So I got almost 700 surveys from Latter-day Saint women. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been fascinating. So can I kind of share that? Because yes. that guides how I talk with women about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I asked, have you experienced aspirational shame? And 70% 
said yes. And another 12% said maybe. Hmm. And so it was, you know, 81% mm-hmm. of all LDS women surveyed have experienced mm-hmm. shame. That's a lot of wasted energy. Mm-hmm. Like it, that number actually shocked me that it was that high. Mm-hmm. And what I what I found was that aspirational shame is a very relational experience. Like it's triggered. It's an it's an individual emotion or thought, you know, that we have experience, but it's triggered by by expectations of self, family, community, and and deity. So that was kind of interesting. And then I kind of have ranked the top 10 ways that women have reduced or resolved their aspirational shame. And I think it's fascinating. So I'm kind of nerding out about research here. Yeah, um, please. But the number one most common commonly mentioned in the research was feeling God's support. So like a personal answer that like God supports what I'm doing or God supports my choices. And that's true for me. Like I really felt like, well, you know, church leaders are saying this, but like I'm really feeling this. And so I'm the only one responsible for my life. So I, I'm going to go with, you know, what I feel inspired to do. Mm-hmm. So the second one is leave the church or distance from the church. So this is specifically Latter-day Saint women, but I'm guessing it applies to many conservative religious women. Mm-hmm. So becoming less involved or taking a step back or leaving altogether was the second most common way that women dealt with shame, with mm-hmm. aspirational shame specifically. So we're losing lots of really sharp women because mm-hmm. church is triggering that shame. Mm-hmm. The third is a supportive husband and family. So having a supportive partner and extended family is really key. Finding a like-minded community was number four. And then number five is self-acceptance and self-awareness. So just kind of accepting who you are and what, what your gifts are. So those are the top five. Number six was care less about what others think, which I, I love. It's like finally just go, you know what? I'm doing me and, and stop taking things personally and taking comments personally and just do your own thing. Having mentors and other mm-hmm. examples was number seven. Number eight was intellectual awareness or recognition. A lot of people said like recognize learning about patriarchy learning about different constructs that give you a different lens to look at your experience through. That's number eight. Nine was positive work experiences. So women who were employed, like having really great experiences and going, this, this isn't bad. This isn't wrong. This is, Mm -hmm. this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And um, I especially love number 10, going to therapy. So that was number 10. A lot of mm-hmm. people mentioned, mm-hmm. I went to mm-hmm. therapy. I learned about Brene Brown and shame, or we went to marriage counseling to help my husband get on board with supporting my aspirations. So those are all ways that women have resolved their shame based on that research. For me, one of the things that really helped was working on my dissertation study 
where I came across literature on highly creative women. And I realized, oh my gosh, there's like, I'm a highly creative woman. There's a label mm. for me and there's research mm. about people like me who have the need to create and disseminate their work into the larger culture. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this big relief that like, oh, nothing's wrong with me. This is a thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just like naming aspirational shame and people could go, it's a thing. So for me, like, oh, I'm a highly creative woman. So I, I studied for my dissertation, creative productivity of mothers. So because childbearing years are the peak years of productivity for creative people, like the 20s and 30s, you know, that's when most people do their best loved work or their most well-known or whatever. So anyway, that I, I got a personal, you know, quote unquote diagnosis of like, I'm a highly creative woman. <laughs> that is so mm-hmm. cool. And so that's, I studied uh, for my literature review, like I, I compiled a sketch based on the research of what a highly creative woman is and how highly creative women define themselves and and their core in in a way that's different than other people, like the purposeful mm-hmm. creation of something novel or useful and putting it out into the world. And not everybody has that desire. And that's great. Every People have their own talents. But That for me was like, oh, you know, God made me this way. Right. It's who you're meant (laughs) to be. This can't be bad. And that really kind of helped resolve the whatever remnants of shame were remaining. Because this was more recently. I graduated in 2015. So this Mm -hmm. was, but, you know, I was in my 40s and still Mm -hmm. wrestling with shame. And it's just such a waste of Mm -hmm. energy. Just such a waste so I, I love talking about aspirational shame because I I just want to empower women to know, like, you're not alone. You're not alone mm-hmm. in feeling this. And it's okay to take responsibility and do your, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, all of those 10 kind of, I guess they're, they're coping strategies, really, and they're, mm-hmm. they're methods of, of getting past. I think that was so useful. I was just taking all of those in and Mm. and really relating to a lot of them. And that's like you said, I mean, and then having a, like you just described, having a label for it. Oh, this is who I am. This is what I was born to do. This is the way God made me. Or for, for people who aren't religious, just to say, this is, this is what I was born to do, right? Like this is what I want to spend my one wild and precious life doing. And I'm just hearing too. I'm just again thinking about the the waste and the tragedy of a woman getting, hopefully not to the end of her life, but you know, well into life, and thinking, wait, I made a sacrifice that wasn't necessary, and mm-hmm. then I I had all of that potential, but that it's not too late, hopefully, to then say, well, I'm going to start today, and I'm going to start doing what I what I was born to do, and and so some of those strategies of just getting comfortable in your own skin and letting go of what other people think about you. And like you said, you know, pushing back when people ask rude questions, even if they're not intending to be rude, but to say, hey, think about what you're asking me right now. Has anybody ever asked you that? Have you ever had to justify yourself? I love that example that you shared too. Thank you. You know, I also want to, I think this is important to bring up that in my 
in the process of writing my dissertation, I also realized how much I had devalued the care work that I had done and that my mom mm. had done. Mm. And that that was a result of patriarchy. That I have invested a lot of time in care work, in taking care of my family, and that that's just as valuable as my degrees or the paid work that I do. And, and then I really realized how valuable my mom's contribution was to me and my siblings. There are nine of us. And so this is... I, I really want to be clear. All work is valuable. This is not like you, oh, well, just a stay at home mom. No, if that's what your calling is, that is amazing and do it and own it. And, mm -hmm. and if you feel multiple callings, follow those two. It, you know, it's not one is better than the other. This is not a hierarchy of any kind. It's being true to, to what you want reaching for your dreams. And, and so I want to just put a shout out to like, I really value the work that I've done in my home and building relationships with my family. And, and I just want to give a shout out to my mom for, for the mm. years that she invested in that, because that is the fabric of life you know, mm -hmm. that allows the support of all, all of our other endeavors. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. I'm so glad you mentioned that too. And, and like you talk about all, all the time, that's true for all humans, right? Like mm -hmm. investing in relationships brings joy, working hard and sweeping your own floor and making your own food or whatever, like taking care of your space that you live in as a human being. There's something really important and deeply meaningful about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a human thing. And right. Yeah, go ahead. I I really resist the the gender roles, right? Mm -hmm. Like I say adults need to know how to care for a home. Yes. Adults need to know how to care for other human beings. Adults need to know how to provide for themselves and their family. Adults need to, you know, yes. know how to maintain extended relationships with the community. These are adult things, not men or women things, uh, yes. you know, need to know how to care for a yard, need to know how to m manage money. Adults need to know these things. And it has nothing to do with what you're, you know, what sex you were born. Yes. Right. I, I love that. Yes. And having relationships is, is so important. And then like, like you said, I just love it, Julie, to to bring forth what is within you, right, as mm -hmm. well. And I'm just thinking of my mom, too. And one thing I want to mention, too, is that there are some people due to, you know, circumstances beyond their control that aren't able to, mm -hmm. to do the creative work that they want to do. My mom has struggled with chronic pain her whole life. And mm. so all of the potential things that she might have liked to spend her time and her energy doing, she hasn't been able to do as much as she's wanted to. And so there are complicating factors too in oh, individual yeah. lives. But yeah, yeah, she gave us a wonderful growing up. And and some people's talents and hobbies are, you know, painting or they are there are things that you can just do in your home and you don't have that drive, like you said, to put your work out into the world. And yeah. what I'm hearing you say is that's perfectly fine too. It's just being true to yourself and doing what you were born to do right. and giving yourself permission to do it. Is mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Okay. Doing what you enjoy and what calls to you 
and put whether you put it out in the world or not does not change its value. Mm-hmm. That's a very patriarchal, that hierarchical thing like, well, this is better than this or paid work is better than unpaid work or, or you know, if you're an artist, you have to put it out into the world. That's what makes it legitimate. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. Like our satis- personal satisfaction and enjoying the process is just as valuable. Yeah. And so you know, I think not ranking things, not putting things in a hierarchy of like, this is better than that. You know, working is better than staying home or staying home is better than it. No, it's like figure out what you need and what you want and what you feel called to do. And then with whatever resources you have, do the best you can to fulfill that, whatever that is. Mm, I love it. So in thinking about these patriarchal constructs where we get our message from the top down about what it's okay for a woman to do, what it's okay for a man to do. And this on this theme that women, so many women experience aspirational shame if they feel their soul calling to them to do X, Y, or Z, but they feel like, no, I can't. That's outside of my boundaries as a woman. For you as someone who experienced that but then transcended it is there one thing that you would would counsel women to do who are currently experiencing that aspirational shame is there like a mantra or one thing that you would counsel listeners to help them overcome that and and live their best life that is free of shame and and lets all of the parts of themselves flourish yes yeah all good desires are from God. So I'm a religious person. So, but you can put, you know, are, are good. So I just have learned that if I have a desire that is good, that's going to make the world better, that's going to help someone that's going to add to knowledge. That's I'm just assuming it's from God mm-hmm. to me. And so that's part of claiming personal authority over your life. I realized in my early or my late teens, after this one landmark talk to women by an LDS church leader, I realized, well, okay, but only I am going to have to answer for my life choices, for the development of my talents, for the use of my time, for the quality of my relationships. My my parents aren't going to answer that. This church leader is not going to answer for me. My, my partner isn't, my children aren't, only I am going to have to answer for how I used my time, talents, energy, and my life. And so just really taking responsibility and considering, you know, if you're in a faith tradition, consider what the leaders are saying. There's, there's always wisdom that can be pulled from it. So I reframed that, that talk to children need parents. I'm going to take that from that talk. Children need parents and they need attention and nurturing. I can totally get on board with that. And my husband's really good at that. And we're going to work together as a team. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I made, how I made sense of it and honored my own personal authority. Mm. Hallelujah for you. I thank you so much for that. That was. That is powerful 
powerful antidote to to the shame and to the to all of these factors that inhibit us in our lives so yeah that is just the perfect way to close out this conversation i am so grateful for all of that wisdom and so thankful that you were willing to come back on the podcast dr julie hanks thank you so much thanks amy for the invitation it's always delightful to talk with you Thanks again to Dr. Julie Hanks for joining me in this conversation. It was so eye-opening to hear Dr. Hanks talk about all the ways that people need to let go of shame and learn to value our ambitions and how we can claim authority over our lives and embrace the unique people who we really are, regardless of who or what our cultural norms say that we're supposed to be. I hope that all of us can take this guidance to heart. And for those of you listening who would like to hear more of Dr. Hanks's amazing insights, I'd encourage you to watch her TED Talk entitled The Cost of Idealizing Motherhood. And then, of course, listen to Dr. Hanks on her podcast, Ask Dr. Julie Hanks. Before I go, I'd also like to thank Sam Rose Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Olibest for our social media. And thanks to you listeners, as always, for joining us for these conversations. Be sure to tune in again next week when I'll be sitting down with gender economist Katika Roy for another amazing interview, this time digging deep into the struggle for gender parity in our workplaces. It's going to be a brilliant conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy. 